Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of God our Father. Amen. You know, this morning as we continue on through this series on the complexity of relationships, I want to talk about another difficult issue that makes our relationships complex. In fact, it seems to make our relationships more complex as time goes on. And that's the whole area of anger in our relationships. And this morning I want to take a look at how we can turn that obvious negative, or at least the results of our anger in our relationships, and turn it into something quite positive. In other words, how do we find peace in the midst of chaos? How do we find peace by diffusing some of the anger in our relationship in in an appropriate way? And I say it that way this morning because conflict is inevitable in relationships. You have two very selfish people who say, I do, or we're going to be friends, or you're my mom and you're my kid, or whatever it is. And we have these relationships with two very selfish people, and there's going to be conflict. It's just inevitable. It's going to happen because there's going to be a point where these two selfish people just disagree. I think I should have a curfew that's 1 o'clock and not 9 o'clock. Mom, what do you think? Well, two very selfish people disagree on what that answer is. Usually the parent wins. But even though there's disagreement in relationships, and even though that's an inevitable thing, combat is not or doesn't have to be an inevitable thing. And so with every disagreement that you have, you're either going to have a breakthrough or you're going to have a breakdown. A breakdown in the relationship or a breakthrough to a new level of intimacy. And it's that second part that we're going to try to talk about today to see if we can do more of that and less of the former. But the key to a breakthrough really is how do you deal, how do you handle, how do you work through your anger? I'm going to just give you some information about anger. Because when there's an argument, there's usually three phases that we always go through. Phase one is the recognition phase. Houston, we have a problem, which I think is funny because my wife's from Houston. (laughs) So anyway, not that she's the problem. No, no, I wouldn't say that. But anyway, this is the place where you usually realize you're irritated. Something is amiss. Something is going against my selfishness, my pride. Something isn't right. Phase two is reaction. I'm ticked off. I'm irritated. This phase usually gets a little loud sometimes because you don't know how to express yourself, so you get louder and louder, fearing that will be the key to help them understand. Remember, I was helping my daughter with her math homework, and she wasn't getting it, so I would just get louder, like that was explaining it better. I don't know what was going on. But it's usually that phase where we're just we're uncertain of how to communicate our selfishness with the other person or our reason with the other person, and we have this conflict back and forth. And then phase three is the resolution phase. You stay through the reaction period, you keep on working until you get resolution, and it's where you say, what are we going to do about it? What can we come up with together that can be a solution? Now, most marriages, you may have guessed, never really get past the stage two. They get stuck in the reaction phase. We get to the argument, but we never, well, oftentimes we don't quite get to the reconciliation or the solving of it. And in most marriages, you usually have somebody, there's two ways that we respond to our anger. You have one that's very aggressive and one that's very passive. And so it's not surprising that in most marriages, you have a skunk and a turtle. When the skunk gets upset, everybody knows because they stink up the place. And when the turtle gets angry, they want to go into a shell. Equally as destructive, but it just seems less stinky, if that makes any sense. Typically in marriage, one is silent and one is violent. One blows up and the other clams up. And so you have to take a look at this one reality. We express anger differently. We, we just do, but we have to learn to express it appropriately. Because if you don't, you're just going to go round in circles over and over and over, and nothing will get resolved because you stay in that reaction phase. And so what do we do about that? How do we get there? God gives us actually four things this morning that helps us learn to express our anger in more and more appropriate ways 
So we get more positives than the negatives, or at least we can turn some of those negatives into some reconciliation points, into ways of moving forward that, that really help us. And so right now, what I want you to do is I want you to get angry. Not, not at me, though, if you could. Just be angry but receptive. Think of the last thing in your life that you got really angry about. could be anything. It could have been the person in the, in the, in the freeway. It could have been somebody coming in this morning. It could have been your, your spouse last night. It could have been any... Just get the last place that you were angry, but be, stay receptive in the midst of that. So you got this anger, and you can think about that experience, and you can just feel some of the blood coursing through. And God says this to you in the midst of that place. He says, put up a mirror. And you think, but I think I look okay. I don't know why I'm putting up a mirror, but this is what I mean. When anger is triggered and conflict happens, God says you need to put up a mirror. And what I mean by that is you need to ask yourselves the question, what is this about? Why am I angry? My anger was triggered, but is this trigger more about me or is this trigger more about them? God says you need to figure out why you're angry. Put up a mirror. Last week I was reading about a guy who went to the Dallas airport, and I've been to the Dallas airport, so I kind of found some affinity with what he was talking about. And they have these people movers at the Dallas airport. And he said he and his buddy were walking down this, this thing, and it kind of moves you faster. But it says on the sign, the slow people or people who just want to stand stay to the right. And the people that are walking go to the left, just like on the freeway, right? So he was walking pretty fast, he thought, and he had his luggage and all that kind of stuff. And his buddy, who was a little bit bigger than him, was on the right, and he was walking too. When all of a sudden this, this voice came from behind him, Hey, get out of my way! You're going too slow! And he thought to himself, Well, she couldn't be talking to me. I, I'm walking, you know? She must be talking to my buddy. But no, as it turned out, she was talking to him. And she went around his buddy, Matt, and then she came around to me, he says, and right in front of me she says to her husband, I guess he can't hear very well. He said, trigger. My anger was triggered. And I wanted to resort to being really mature and say something like, well, you're really dumb, lady. I mean, you know, something like that. But all of a sudden God said, put up a mirror. And he started asking himself, what's going on? Is this about me or is this about her? And I think a lot of us want to say it's about her. She said something inappropriate. She said something to be mean. But this guy said, no, it was about me. It was my issue. I started asking myself, why did I trigger? Why did I get lit up? And the answer was because my pride was hurt. This lady was walking faster than me and she had a cane. (laughs) He said, what happened? Is it hurt my feelings? And so I decided to get angry. The reality is that we experience anger. And when we experience anger, it's never the real issue. It it just isn't. And the mirror helps us to see beyond the anger and see that something deeper that is going on in our lives. Anger is what I might call a secondary emotion. But what we usually do is we jump all over that secondary emotion and think this must be it. And we just live in that reaction phase, in that anger stage. But the reality is that anger basically boils down to three primary emotions. And so this is the mirror, the lens that you want to look through. Hurt, fear, and frustration. When you put up a mirror and you look at what's beneath, you're going to find hurt, you're going to find frustration, and you're going to find fear. It's like in elementary school when you learn the three primary colors, right? Red, blue, and yellow, and all the other colors are made up of those. Our anger is made up of the same kinds of things. Fear, hurt, and frustration are the primary emotions. And many of us don't stop. We just don't. I I don't know why, but we don't stop to recognize what they are. We just immediately jump to anger. We jump to yelling. We jump to sarcasm. We jump and we just open our mouths. 
But if you want to learn to deal with anger constructively, you have to put up a mirror and say, what's beneath the surface? What's really going on? What's below the waterline? Otherwise, you're never dealing with the root issue, and you'll find that you'll just keep getting angrier and angrier and angrier over the same issues. But the deal is you're not dealing with the real problem. And when you don't deal with the real problem, you live in denial, and we discount our anger, and we blame other people for our anger. It must be always their fault. And we're always the victim, which I've shared over and over is not the way to live life because you don't ever move towards peace when you're playing the victim. It derails us, and I think this is such an important thing for us to understand. Let me give you a few examples to flush this stuff out. Let's say you're a single person and you're dating somebody. And this afternoon you go home and they break up with you, and they use the famous line, it's not you, it's me. Oh, and I just want to be friends, and there's probably a third line that they could throw at you. And all of a sudden, you're angry with them, the person that you were just in love with just moments ago. And so you start putting up the mirror and ask yourself, am I really angry? No, I'm hurt. You've just experienced rejection. And you don't know what to do with it, or you're not identifying it as such, and so you get mad because it's your natural reaction. It's easier. Again, you're coming to church today, and you're always somebody who's on time. I mean, you are never, you're always early, never late to anything. But you live with somebody who seems like they're always late. For some reason, this morning, you were in the car. You were on your way. You thought you were going to get there on time. For the first time in weeks, you were so excited. You come into the driveway of the church, and you, you hit a traffic jam, which is unlikely because we don't have that many cars. But you hit it. It was just the right time, and you get, well, you get angry, and you, You get angry with the person sitting next to you, even though they beat their all-time record. When you unpack it, what's beneath it? Frustration. And maybe some pace of life issues that are constantly going to haunt you, right? Let me give you this last one. This was from my buddy. He says, imagine this. It's the middle of the night, and your wife wakes up because she hears something. You go downstairs, and you check it out. And so, or, no, or, or she says, go downstairs and check it out, honey. I, I heard something. I know something's real. And you're thinking, I'm barely alive at this point. She probably fell asleep switching channels, probably saw something about a mass murder, you know, escaping from maximum security penitentiary, and she thinks he's downstairs as we speak. But you listen, and you don't hear anything. So you say, no. She says, what? And you say, look, I'm here in my, I have a plunger in my DVDs. I'm thinking at this point, just ransack the house. So he says again, I say, no, you go down. And then this is just my buddy, he says, because guys, where in the United States Constitution does it say that the man has to go and check it out? It doesn't say anywhere. He checked it last time, I guess. So you get into this little argument, and you're angry at one another, and you're yelling at one another, but what's the real issue? Fear. They're both scared out of their minds. They didn't want to go see what was making the noise downstairs. So the way we move towards forward in this journey of peace is to get the truth. If you want peaceful relationships, you've got to get the truth about what's really going on in your life and then deal with that, not the anger. Some of you, you're always blaming your spouse or your kids or your friends. It's always got to be them. They're always the ones that are doing stuff. But instead, maybe you need to put up the mirror and say, you know, I feel afraid when you talk to the kids that way, honey. And that's what makes me angry. Or maybe you have a friend that's always flaky and always late. Maybe instead you say, hey, I feel devalued when you're always late. It makes me feel like you don't value the relationship. Parents, you're always concerned about how your kids are dressed. Put up the mirror. What's this really about? What's this anger really about? Is it more of, I'm worried that people are going to look at my kids and then somehow make a a judgment on me? Or 
Are you legitimately scared about what this may mean that they're doing? You've got to put up a mirror and get at that real emotion. Put up a mirror because the truth takes us deeper, and it helps us actually move forward. Once you have an idea of what you're mad at, you can either diffuse your anger or you can deal with the issue. God says it's so important. He goes on and he also says this, Look to God and not others for your self-worth. See, a sense of self-worth is essential to controlling our anger. Why? Because insecure people are easily angered. Confident people, as, a, as, a, as a, the opposite of that, are not easily angered. And so when you have a sense of self-worth, you can handle the hurt and the frustration and the insecurity much easier. That's why Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 7.21. Don't pay attention to everything people say. That's hard, isn't it? This wisdom from Solomon, he says, don't pay attention to everything that people say. And so the context is, is that people may be talking about you from time to time. That's probably a truism, right? People probably talk about us from time to time. And the more insecure I am, the more I depend upon your opinion of me to make me feel good. If I'm insecure and you say something bad about me, you put me down, then I'm going to feel insecure. I might even get a little bit mad because I don't know what to do with it because I feel that my worth is dependent upon your approval. It's an irrational thought, but it's something that we all can understand. And so when I get angry and I get embarrassed, I want to fight back because I'm more and more insecure. And so the secret to overcoming anger is to develop a sense of self-worth that's not dependent upon everybody else in your life. It's not dependent on what other people are saying about you. So you don't get uptight so much. Why? Because you're still okay. But even as I say that, the question is, how do you get that kind of self-confidence? That seems remarkable. How, how do you get that kind, of, that kind of peace? And Scripture says this in Proverbs 14:26, again from Solomon in his wisdom. He says, Reverence for the Lord gives confidence and security to a man. And we all want the confidence and security. It's awesome. So we just have to do this thing called reverence. We go to the Bible and see how do you get reverence. There's actually two ways that you get reverence in all of Scripture. You tithe 10% to the Lord, which just says, I'm putting God first in the area of money, biggest God in our society, so that makes sense. And I read the Bible every day, meditate on it day and night. If we do those two things, we will keep God as the number one thing in our life, which is what reverence means. And if we keep God as the number one thing in our life and we have reverence for him, God will give us confidence and security. And once we have that, we can say stuff like this, if God likes me and I like me, then if you don't like me, then you've got the problem, not me. Because God says I'm okay. So it helps us not be so angry. And when I feel positive about myself, fewer things are going to threaten me, frustrate me, or hurt me. But the key is really breaking free, to breaking free from your insecurity is this. You've got to learn to accept what God says about you as true. And I just want you to think about that for a second. Because either God is lying or he thinks you're pretty awesome. I mean, that's what he says. God says over and over in Scripture, you're pretty okay. You're pretty awesome, actually that he has a purpose for your life, that he loves you desperately, even to the point of giving up his son Jesus. And if that's all true, then you don't have to get so uptight about what other people think or what other people say about you. And this is such an important thing for us to understand. But what you'll find is when you can get to that place, your anger level will dissipate drastically. God also says stop and think before responding or reacting. When you get angry, have you ever noticed that your mouth usually runs faster than your mind? That's where our sarcasm comes out so fast. That's where our yelling comes out so fast. And you start to get angry. You need to put your mind in gear, though, before you engage your mouth. How many of you ever have driven a stick shift? Right? It has a clutch. What happens if you try to hit on the gas without putting it in gear? 
just revs up the engine, right? The person next to you thinks you want to race, you know, those kind of things. God says, put it in gear first. Put your mind in gear first before you hit on the gas. And if you, th- if you think about that symbolism, there's a lot of us revving our engines all over the place, but not going anywhere. And that's what our anger tends to do, it tends to insult people or challenge people who are next to us, right? God says, put your mind in gear first. And he's, another way of saying that is just simply stop and think before you speak, before you react. Again, in Proverbs 13, verse 16, some more wisdom from Solomon, he says this, sensible people always think before they act. Why? Because angry words come easily. They just do. In fact, the key word in anger management is the word think. And so first you, you learn to feel good about yourself, right? And then you understand why it is that you're getting angry. But then the key, God says, is this, you must start thinking before you respond. Why? Because of the simple reality that we need time to think. We just need some time. We, we need somehow to, some time before we just react. All of us know that this is true. And when you start to get angry more than anything else, you just need to delay your response. I've used this quote before, but Thomas Jefferson said this, if you're angry, count to what? Ten. If you're really angry, count to a hundred. As funny as that is, that still works today. Because when you're counting, you're focusing on counting, not so much on your anger, and it helps dissipate it even faster. More than anything else, you need to buy yourself some time when you start to get angry so that you can stop, take a look back, maybe even take a step back and get some perspective before you respond. And then ask yourself this, how do I really want to respond to the situation? When I was telling my kids I was working on, I was going to preach a sermon on anger, they said, all right, you know, yeah, good. And I said, yeah, it's got a lot of good stuff. I'm going to start working on some of these things, you know. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's just something that all of us have to deal with, whether we go into a shell and alienate ourselves from everybody else and cause that kind of pain, or we just go off on everybody and cause that kind of verbose kind of pain. We have to learn to deal with the issues. And then finally God says this, continually ask him for help. Galatians 5, verse 22, it says, and it lists the fruit of the Spirit. And there are nine, but I'll just give you the first four because they're a good representation. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and on the list goes. And I share those because the reality is, is that you cannot have your life filled with those things and be angry at the same time with the wrong kind of anger. It's just impossible. You can't have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, and on and on, and still be blowing up. That's the fruit of God's Spirit. Okay, And, and, and the reality is, whatever inside of you is going to eventually come out. I, I use this illustration a lot, too. I got a tube of toothpaste, and I decide to squeeze it. What comes out? Toothpaste. And then I put mayonnaise in there because I think it's kind of a fun game. And I squeeze it again. What comes out? Mayonnaise. Put chili beans in there. And I go and I squeeze it again. What comes out? Chili beans. Here's the point. Whatever's on the inside is going to come out when you're in the squeeze. And ultimately, we're all squeezed in life. The reality is when the world puts pressure on you and the deadlines are coming and the people around you are increasing the level of expectation in your life, you're in the squeeze. And whatever is on the inside of you is going to come out. If you're filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, and you're in the squeeze, what's going to come out? Those things. And people will marvel at your being able to respond to difficult situations. They will marvel at your care in the midst of hard times. When you're filled with anger and hostility and hurt and frustration and insecurity, when the world puts a squeeze on you, that's what comes out. 
And so you start looking at this and you see that anger is ultimately just a warning light waving itself back and forth saying something's not right beneath the surface. There's a deeper issue that you have to deal with in your life. And so you start asking, well, we're in church. How does Jesus help us with our anger? And the answer that he gives is by dealing with the root issues. The Bible teaches from cover to cover that Jesus can heal your hurt with his love. Help you overcome your insecurities and your fear with his strength. Help give you peace. You may have been rejected and abused and misused and mistreated and unwanted and unloved and on and on and it hurts. There's a lot of hurt in our society today. But Jesus can heal your hurts again with his love. And he will replace that hurt with his love. And when the pressure comes, more and more, that's what comes out. Not more hurt, but his love. How? By embracing the fact that Jesus cares about you desperately. Right? That, that there's nobody that cares more about you in this world than him. By embracing the fact that you matter to him. And you say, well, how can you know for sure that we matter to him? And I'll give you some evidence. He sent his own son, Jesus, to die for you on a cross. Nobody gives up his own child for somebody else unless they matter. By embracing the fact that Jesus cares about your pain and that your pain matters to God. And you say, well, how can you say that in the midst of everything I've been through? Because Jesus, God let his son Jesus die a brutal death that you deserve to die for your sin. He let Jesus die in your place so that you wouldn't have to suffer that kind of pain. The reality is, is that God cares about you. You matter to him. Your pain matters to him. And you start asking, why in the world would God do it? And the answer is because he loves you. And he always will. Great is the love, the mercy, the grace of our God. My prayer today is as we listen to some of these things that you don't just kind of shuffle them back there, but that at least start through the process. Next time you get angry, put up the mirror and try to figure what in the world's going on. Why am I reacting to this? I promise you it's hurt, it's frustration or anger. Let God do something amazing and turn some of those negatives into positives in your life. And all God's people said, amen. I invite you to rise.